there's a big lesson I think that people have to get is like something that feels very normal to you but doesn't feel normal to other people is a big signal. Hi and welcome back to Careers 2.0. My guest today has been on a fascinating journey from being a pastor to pro marketer to a successful content creator. But our conversation is not about finding your calling or making a quick back online. It's about consistency, it's about building a community, and it's about creativity, which my guest today has a lot of. F. Chapman is a person of endless ideas and endless creativity, but powered by very strict systems. There is a lot that we can learn from her, so let's jump right in. All right, um, we will get to uh, like all the creative stuff and the processes because that's the most important. But uh, I really want to start with um, actually your day job. So yes. <laughs> you, because you mentioned on uh, Twitter, in your Twitter bio that you made over 65K in, in digital products and that's all your side hustle. But, and you're proud to say that you uh, still do it while maintaining your full-time job and you love it, which is great. Yes. What kind of work allows you to do that? What kind of work allows you to have the time and the flexibility to to actually maintain such a profitable side hustle? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, so. I work in marketing, um, and I work with okay. health and fitness businesses um, as a coach to coach them how to market their business. Um, so we have a coaching program, and I do a lot of coaching during the day and kind of teaching around marketing. Um, but I think that the big shift for me was COVID. Um, in that we went from working in an office, I went from working, you know, like like long hours, commutes, all of that, to yeah. working at home, not having to commute, you know, an hour to work every day and kind of just having a bit more time um, to be able to like put into online and um, and creating a lot. Do you think that the, like, the security of the full-time job that we all looked after, especially in the health and fitness, right? Like the... the a uh, whole industry for a while was a bit shut down. But did it make you think like, hmm, that's not as secure as I thought it would be? Exactly that that triggered me to say, hmm, everything that I thought was secure in life is actually not as secure as I thought it was. And I, I think a lot of people experienced that during COVID. Um, yeah. But I saw a whole industry shut down in 24 hours. And I was like, how? I don't even know how this happened. And you know, in Australia, we had some strict lockdown, yep. you know, things that happen. Um, and so it caused me to think through, well, okay, all my eggs are in this one basket, full-time job. Um, but if that went away tomorrow, and I never thought it would, like that's just, I don't think it, I think that everyone was in kind of a, a pretty secure place. And then you go through this big, you know, really life-altering thing. And I think the whole world kind of went through it and you realize, okay, Life is not as secure as I thought it was. I need to diversify. And that's really where I thought, okay, I need to go all in on doing something for myself, whether that turns into something full-time or whether that's just, you know, a side hustle that kind of then kind of builds, like I've got that now this idea of like building a portfolio of things. So mm -hmm. I don't want to go into anything full-time ever again. I want to build an actual portfolio that if something falls down, there's still a couple of things that are on the go. Diversified solopreneur, quoting uh, yeah. Justin Welsh, <laughs> my favorite, right? Yes. Um, when you're talking about uh, being diversified, I know that you have done uh, like a lot of different things. You dabbled in vlogs, right, for a year, which is quite amazing, the con consistency. Can you tell me a little bit about how your presence online evolved? Like, yeah. for, like how did you find your, was it something that I'm going to try this and then adjust? Or more like, uh, I'm going to try this, and if it doesn't work, I'm going to try something completely else. Like, how did you look at it? Yeah, I think I've been on this journey probably for around 10 years. I, th mm -hmm. I think I've always wanted to create something. Like, I've always wanted to put my voice out there. or It's just kind of like a an inner desire to do that. And I have tried so many things. I tried blogging. Like, I've had, uh, like, maybe three blogs. I've uh, started... I think two podcasts, I did the vlog for a year. So there's all this stuff that I felt like, you know, like there were just like different creative projects and uh, and and nothing kind of stuck for me. 
Um, I would uh, like the longest I've I ever did something was a year, which was my vlog, right? And I thought, oh, this is great. And then literally, like New Year's ticked over, and I was like, okay, done with that. And like I'm just moving on to something else. And it's a that thing is just really interesting. Like just I think you have to find your thing. And for me, I always come back to writing. It's the thing that I can be the most consistent at. I really love it. I get enjoyment from it. And I can literally do it every day. And and I feel like, you know, like I I want to do video. Like I and mm-hmm. I'm I'm much more into YouTube kind of in the last six months. But it takes a lot to like get a video out. Like yeah. you gotta get ready, you gotta do the script, you gotta film it, edit it, and then you know, there's all this stuff that goes into it. Whereas like I can sit down for half an hour in the morning and write something and it's out there. And I could do that every day really consistently. So I think like as a creator, I think I was just finding my thing. I was finding the way that I feel the most comfortable and the easiest to be able to produce every day. And then from that, I can take and I can create it into other kinds of mediums that take longer or take more effort to produce. Let's say they find something that they want to try. When is the sort of cutoff point that you would say that you should try it for at least a month, a year, as you did, to, in order to understand. Because, of course, on one hand, we have uh, passion for something. On the other hand, the, the, the routine and the chore, right? That, the, okay, now I have oh. to do it every day or now I have to... When do you realize uh, that this is the moment, this is the thing that I should stick with? And and when is the, when do you should just grind through it sometimes? There's always this dip. Um, and I don't know if it comes at a certain point or... Uh, like you know, if you if you can name like a time frame, but I, okay. and I, Seth Godin talks about it in his book, The Dip, right? So there's always this certain dip that you go through, and I think that you've got to recognize that in the beginning things are going to be hard. So if you can go and recognize, okay, this first point where I'm feeling like I don't think I this is the right thing for me, that's probably the dip. And if you can get through that and get back up then you, you're probably going to continue doing that. But if you just keep kind of, um, if you keep like quitting in the dip, then you probably won't ever find your thing. I know when I first started writing, so I did Ship 30 for 30, yeah. uh, which is like 30 days of writing and one atomic essay every day. It got to like day 14 and they like talk about this. They're like, you're going to get it. You're going to feel the dip. You know, it's just, it's coming, and I'm like, oh, whatever. I like to write. Like, I'm not. There's no way I'm not gonna like. Literally on day 14, I was like, oh, I'm over this. I don't want. I can't. I'm, I don't ever want to write again. But like, you you're in a community. Keep writing, and then a week later, I said, oh, I'm doing this for the rest of my life. Like, so it's <laughs> you know, every day is a little bit different. I think that being part of a community really does help. Mm-hmm. So if you can. If you can find people who are doing the same thing and going through the same thing, you can kind of listen for the signals together. That kind of helps. Um, you mentioned Ship 30 for 30. It's a, there, there are, I think, two things to this to me. On one hand, there is this challenge to challenge yourself to do something for 30 days. And then the second part is the community, right? The, the people who try to do, maybe in a, write about a, a different thing, but do the same challenge and um, which part is more important, the challenging yourself or the or the other people that support you in, in doing that? Mm, it's a really good question. I think it's probably different for, for different people. I think some people are really motivated by the challenge. Like if you set them 30 days, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm not really motivated by that. Um, I'm motivated by, by doing it with other people. So when I hear stories of other people or I'm here, okay, they did it, I can do it. Um, so I'm definitely much more motivated when I can do things in a community. And I think I think that comes across as well, like a lot of the things that I do are like in public. So sometimes I'm not mm-hmm. always part of like a community doing it together, but I'll just announce I'm doing something. And so that gives me the accountability. I know people are kind of watching and, and that kind of thing. So I, I think there's something cool about like doing something in public, whether you do it with a group of people or you're just saying, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and and having that public accountability. Uh, you mentioned also uh, signal, and you talk about it a lot. Signal versus noise, right? Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit what do you define as signal, and uh, 
most importantly, how do you differentiate yourself, signal on social media from the noise? Yeah, I think, um, so I think it all came out of um, the, like writing these daily essays um, and trying to figure out like, well, which of, which essay is kind of um, uh, resonating with my audience um, compared to another one. And so I would start to look at kind of the stats around the different um, essays mm-hmm. that I wrote. So how many people are liking it or commenting or that kind of thing. And so I'm I'm looking for probably a couple of different things. I'm looking, one, for resonance. I think when we talk about Signal, we're like, oh, wh- what exactly is that? Well, I'm looking for like, did this resonate with my audience? And I can kind of tell that now through you know, the amount of likes something has got or if it's got a lot of comments, that's kind of what I'm looking for there. Um, so that's that's kind of one. And then the other kind of signal I'm looking for is kind of something a bit deeper, which you find kind of more when people comment on your posts and, and mm-hmm. that. So I'm looking for like those deeper questions, like what do people want me to explore next? Like all of those kinds of things. I'm like, I'm digging in. Like if ever... You you ask me a question on a post. I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's an idea. I'm taking yeah. that and I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in. So so much of uh, of my writing process actually just comes from listening to all of that. And it's actually noisy. Like it's not yeah. it's not peaceful at all. There's lots of noise there. And I remember kind of going from you know those early days of writing where you would log in and you're like, oh, no one's liked this. It's like it's that. Like, I, I still, I still 100% remember those days. But I also remember this tipping point happening, where like almost every time I logged in, there was some, there was a notification. I was like, oh my gosh, like what, what's happening here? So you just gotta, you know, the the more you go, the more you kind of like hear those signals. But I'm looking out for resonance, and I want to know like what's really resonating, and I just go in that direction. So I, I'm not one of those people who, who's like, okay, I know where I'm going in the next 12 months, Uh two years, five years. I have no idea. I'm going wherever the resonance takes me. And that's, that's, that's just my mode of operating. It's been my mode of operating for the last two years. Would you say that you're data driven then? Yes. I love it. Spoken like a true marketer. You should see my, like, I've got this big notion board. It's got all of my, um, all the things I've written, every single mm-hmm. tweet. And every week I look back on every tweet and I, I record all of the stats and I look for the things that resonate. Manually? Every single one. Oh, wow. How much yeah. time does it take? It takes me maybe like 10 minutes. Like, okay. so I use Zapier. So I've got a little Zapier thing that puts all the tweets in and then I just go through and I just record impressions, likes, comments, da da da. To what degree would you say that uh, a creator has to be a marketer? Like <laughs> I think it's a definite skill um that is an unfair advantage. I think uh, I you know, when I look at maybe some of my the peers that have kind of come along, I also know that they have a little bit of a marketing degree or they've done a bit of marketing here. And so uh, I think it just gives you kind of a step up, like that you already kind of understand, but I'm still terrible at marketing myself. Like it may not look like that. No, it doesn't. I don't even have like a sign up box on my website, like for my newsletter or anything, because like sometimes marketers get a really bad rap. And so coming into the creator world, I was like, oh, I don't want to be like an annoying marketing person. Like I want to be a fun creator. And so mm-hmm. I kind of I didn't do a lot of the marketing things that I know work. Um, so, but I think that innately because you're in the marketing world, it does help, but it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, go into a marketing degree or anything. I think there's so many different ways to learn marketing and learn different ways that you can market your business. Um, and I try and do it a little bit differently than I would. Um, I think it's very different to market a business than it is to market a uh-huh. personal brand. Um, and so it's kind of learning kind of the the differences between that. Can you tell us a little bit more about what the main differences are and what is the most important in building the personal brand rather than the, the professional yeah. one? I think that when you're marketing a business, you need to be really clear on 
who you're talking to, your niche, your avatar, all of that. And you need to do that like from the start. You can't yeah. just be like, hey, we're just exploring here. Like, like it's like you have a you have a specific service or um uh, or product that you sell, you know who you're gonna sell it to. And so you kind of have like a top-down approach, right? So you're like, this is exactly what we're gonna do. Um, and you need to go out strong with that. I think with a personal brand, it tends to build from the bottom up. So you can be explorative. You can, you know, kind of go out there and say, hey, you know, and like when I first started, I wanted to talk about um, self-care and meditation and kind of uh, all of that. And it just wasn't, that wasn't resonating. Like, so I just mm -hmm. went in a different direction. Personal brands are more personal. So people want to know more about you as a person. They want to know more about, you know, like, like people, I've got so many people reaching out to me about moving house and this. I'm like, I don't, that's, I don't talk about that, but because people are invested in you as a personal brand. Um, and so I think that you can pivot easier. I think you can talk about, you know, maybe things behind the scenes a little bit more. I tend to talk a lot more about personal experience, um, showing people behind the scenes, all of that kind of thing, which I think is like the person behind the brand rather than on the, if you were, you know, if you were a brand, you, you really kind of want to be probably a little bit more professional and kind of know where you're going first before you go out. You're talking a lot about um, going where the sort of audience takes you or whatever resonates. How do you balance um, your passion versus the interest of the audience? Like, how do you balance how far do you go into what audience um, expects, even if it doesn't even resonate with you yourself? Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, personally, I probably wouldn't be writing about something that didn't um, kind of spark me anyway. So everything that I write about, it, it, it sparks me in some way. And so if the audience is like, well, I'd like to hear more about this and that, okay then. And the other thing you have to kind of put into perspective is like like every time like if you write let's say you write about something and every time you write about it like it, it really resonates with a lot of people that's a real dopamine hit and you mm -hmm. kind of get used to following those dopamine hits as well like whereas yeah. like i i could i could go back and talk about um meditation or breath work or something you know there's not as much dopamine over there so i mm -hmm. think that tends to help you and motivate you. Um, I think the second thing is that I write a lot for myself as well. Like I probably write more for myself than I do what you see online. So I can explore my passions and explore a lot of that kind of through my personal writing and personal exploration. Even if there is no outlet for it, like public yeah. outlet? Yes. All right. You mentioned YouTube that you started uh, around six months ago, going more into it. Um, can you tell me where is your focus right now? Is it still on Twitter? Is it on YouTube? I heard a lot uh, from YouTubers, uh, the successful ones, saying that YouTube has this kind of longevity to it, right? So you make a tweet or you make a reel and they disappear. They, they, they After 24 hours of a couple of days, they're gone. Whereas in YouTube, the content can be more evergreen. It can stay there for yeah. much longer people can find it if it's well uh, keyword positioned and uh, seo optimized is this something you're looking at uh, that's yeah. why you're more into it or just personal interest in the video look i think i've always wanted to kind of be on youtube like i i think there is a, a big difference between reading reading someone's writing and watching somebody on video there's a connection that happens um but I've also been on the Twitter content train for the last two years and incorrect. It's like you put a tweet out, it lasts at most 24 hours. I mean, my tweets do tend to hang around for 24, maybe a little bit longer hours, um, which is very nice, but that's not a long time. Um, and you, I don't think that alone you can build um, on kind of these short form platforms. And so... I want to build something um, kind of, yeah, that has more leverage, I would say. So it's like kind of got, you know, I 
I play around on a bit. Like Twitter is my signature platform. Mm-hmm. It's where I had the biggest audience. And it's also where I test a lot of ideas. So I kind of see it as a testing ground. I can kind of see what resonates. And then I can take those ideas and take those things that are resonating and I can put them into long-form content. Because the problem with long-form content is it takes a long time. You don't know if it's going to resonate, that kind of thing. But if I can test ideas quickly on my signature platform of Twitter, I like it's less of a risk to create it into a long form. And I'm pretty much guaranteed that things are going to resonate in that long form platform. So YouTube is, is, is that. Um, I, m- like, I also still invest a lot in kind of long form articles as well, like Medium. Um, and that kind of thing. And so I kind of see like there's like the two, it's like you've got your short form where you can test ideas out and then you've got long form where they can like stick around. Can you uh, do a little deep dive for for your funnel? So, okay, you start on Twitter with testing ideas. That's probably more content than anywhere else. Uh, yep. More, more qu- let's say, quantity than quality and then see what happens. Can you tell run us down how this from that goes to long form, where the long form goes and, and so on? Yeah. So usually I will start out with a, a short tweet um, with a some kind of concept. That will often turn into like an atomic essay, which for me is like an image on uh, on Twitter, 250 to 300 words. Really easy for me to get out. And, and now with long form posts, I'm wondering, do I use long form posts or do I still use the image? But that's I'm still testing mm-hmm. um, and kind of wondering what to do there. So once I kind of have that, usually what I'll do is, and I kind of see content as it kind of goes up to, up the ladder. So if an atomic essay hits, then I will often then write that into a long form post, which I might go on Medium or on my website. Because for me, I have to write it first. So I'm like, when I, when I do my YouTube videos, I've got to know the content really well. And I have to have written it first because that's how I process information. And once I've done that, I could talk forever on it. But if I don't go through that writing process, I find I'm just too clumsy with my words. So I tend to do, yeah, so from Atomic Essay, it goes into a long-form article. And then usually from a long-form article, I can turn that into anything. I can turn it into a YouTube video. These days, mostly I'm doing YouTube videos um, that are kind of more Tana walkthroughs. So they don't necessarily correlate like one-to-one um but like for instance i've got two courses i've got tana fast track and i just released the daily creator course and the daily creator course is literally the modules are from things that i've written Mm -hmm. so it doesn't take me very long to actually put big things together now um and i've got a whole lot of different guides that i want to do this year and that kind of thing and they all pull from stuff that i've actually just written online and at each level, like, you know how you sit down, okay, sit down to write like a 12-module course and you're like, oh, where do I even start? <laughs> but like for me, I sit down to do it and I just kind of like just take from all the different places that I've written and different ideas I've got and then it, it comes together pretty easily. So so doing that at every level makes each level feel easy rather than a uh, like a, a big course feel like a heavy lift. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, like I actually had the idea for Daily Creator kind of a couple of days after New Year's and I launched it in three weeks. Like that that's how quickly I could put yeah. it together. But that's two years of writing. Mm-hmm. So, so, there's, so there's a lot of stuff that's happening and then that can then result in something. It's like the, It's like an iceberg if you think about it. It's like, Lots of stuff is happening underneath and then it can just come together really quickly. Do you find that um, audience first approach to creating content is is the best one? Well, it's the best one for me. <laughs> I don't know if it's the best one for everyone, but it's definitely how I work. I just have this responsive nature. So like I, when something happens, I respond to it. Um, whereas like, if you put me in a room with no interaction, I'd just cut, I'd probably be a bit lost. I need that um, that something to respond to. But I think other people, um, I, I definitely think other people are different um, to that. Some people just know exactly what they want 
and they can see it in the future. And so they're just working towards that. But it did make it easier for you, right? Because like the audience sort of informed the way the product that you have created. Yeah. You, you didn't start out with the product idea. You start out with the audience, the things that resonate and that turned into a successful products, right? I think so. And I think, look, as someone who created without an audience for 10 years, it's definitely easier to create with an audience and create alongside. And, you know, I, I feel like I have a really special relationship with my audience because, you know, for some of them, they've come along from the very start. Like when I launched my first product and they bought that, like I still have like a couple of people who are like early adopters on my first template who gave me really great feedback and that kind of thing. They, they bought every single product and they bought Daily Creator. And like, it's like, you know, there's just this special relationship that, you know, you just see somebody evolve and you kind of like building together. Okay. That, that may be a very broad question, but how do you build those relationships? I spend a lot of time just engaging with people online. Mm -hmm. Like I think I, I do less now, which I, I'm just... It's, I'm just busier now. Um, but I remember in that first year, like if you have a look at like some of the, the stats from the months that I was tweeting, like there's like I think over 10,000 comments or something like that in a month. Like it's, it's like I don't know what else I was doing. Like I must have just been <laughs> on Twitter all day. Just like uh, and it was like this big playground. I remember it was you know, it's just a vibe about it as well. And I, it, there was a big Ship30 community that I was a part of at that time. And so I I just, I literally hustled the whole, like, I reckon that first year was just all about engaging on the feed, DMs, and then Zoom calls. I did Zoom calls, like, every week. Okay, so can you tell me about the first experience of actually making and selling a product? Um was that also a dopamine hit or it was like a couple of people bought it? Well, uh, it was a dopamine hit when I got paid. <laughs> um, I, so it was, I had somewhere between 500 and 1,000 followers. I don't know how many mm -hmm. exactly, but it was definitely less than 1,000. And I'd been writing for less than 60 days. Okay, so it's like most people are waiting for some magic number to launch their product. And I just think you're just waiting just for nothing, okay? If you have resonance and you know that people are, you know, wanting something, I think that it's better to have a product out there. You don't have to have a million-dollar launch, okay? You don't have to have your phone literally lighting up with Gumroad notifications. I've never actually had that happen. Um, but I think that it's always better to have a product so that when people do discover you, they they have the opportunity to go further rather than try and build this magic number of an audience and then say, hey, guys, I'm going to launch something. Like you kind of mm -hmm. miss that opportunity when somebody first discovers you. So I had, yeah, some some less than a 1,000 followers, been writing for 60 days, and every time I wrote about my system for writing, which is so meta, but anyway, um, people just ate it up and they were like we want to know more i want to know how you like and these are people that also wrote alongside me and they're saying how are you so prolific i'm like what you're writing as well like i did so there's something and and this is this is a big lesson i think that people have to get is like something that feels very normal to you but doesn't feel normal to other people is a big signal so if people are literally saying to you, like, how do you do that? Like, and you're wondering, I don't, like, that's just a normal thing that people do. That's not normal. You should follow that signal. And so that's what I did. And I basically just put it out there. I said, well, if I made this available as a template, would you be interested? I think I tweeted it and people said yes. So I said, okay, I'm going to create it. Um, and, uh, and so I did a pre-launch. Um, and I gave myself, so this is one of the other things that I do is if I don't pre-launch it and put it out there, um, and have like a deadline, I won't build it. So that's how I have to do it. So I, I put a deadline. I said, I'm going to release it on this day. It was like three, I gave myself three weeks. 
Um, it's available for pre-launch. In the first two months, I made 4K from that from that product. So it wasn't, it was not bad. For someone who had made nothing, like, <laughs> so, and I think I had about 50 people, like, buy the pre-launch um, of, mm -hmm. of the template, which I was like, that, like, I always give myself, like, a minimum viable number, like, okay, like, if five people buy this in pre-launch, I'd be happy. And then, like, it, it was like, yeah, like, so it was, it was quite a lot. Um, and through the whole, the whole time, I just showed people what I was doing. And this is my whole marketing strategy around launching products is, and I just hate sales. I, I'm just like, oh, I think it's just that marketer in me. I'm like, oh, no. So all I did was just, I showed people what I was doing. So, hey, tonight I'm working on this with a screenshot. Or I did a quick loom work walkthrough um, and posted that. And so I think that, I think it's something that we don't, do a lot is like this whole idea of show your work mm -hmm. and that's my whole marketing strategy around products is just show your work show people what it is show people what you're doing and that kind of speaks for itself like you don't necessarily have to do sales i think a lot of people share your sentiment I i'm a sales guy by trade so i love sales <laughs> I'm, I'm not with you on that at all <laughs> not against it <laughs> actually i have to do sales so and i'm i'm, I'm better at it now but I think a lot of people just feel awkward about it. Yeah, exactly, right? It, it, also because sales get a, gets a really bad rap, yes. I, I think, and, and deservedly so. Uh, but, um, but a lot of people would like to sell without selling. So can, can you summarize your tactic to sell without selling? Yep. So I always, I think it's a mindset change, okay? So you have to stop thinking um, about sales and you have to think of it as an invitation. So invite people to work with you. Invite people to explore your product, that kind of thing. I think that feels uh, nicer to people. I think the other thing that you have to do is bet on yourself. So you have to just stop with the imposter syndrome and all of that. Just throw it out the window and say, I have a product that is going to help people and solve a real problem. And you have to, you just have to believe that. And you have to kind of step up to the plate and be like, no, I have a real, a really good product that's going to help a lot of people. I can't not sell it. Like, I can't not put it out there. Like, and, and I think when you, like, that, and that takes, that it does take a lot of confidence to, kind of get to that point i'm not saying it's easy but you have to bet on yourself um uh, that's so that's that's kind of like mindset stuff um tactically i just i i really do just invite people so i i i try and get resonance the whole way through the process i use my audience i say hey i've, I've got this new product i'm launching are you interested Okay, and I get people, you know, you do like the comment, right? Comment with yeah. a, uh, with a, you know, uh, emoji uh, if you're interested. So you kind of, I try and build a bit of a list of people that I can then go and DM, talk to about, you know, like send the link, that kind of thing. So I try and start, you know, like light, like a light version. Um, just grab grab a bunch of people that are, that want your product. Usually, then I put a landing page out. Um, and I'll DM those people individually. I'm not an automation girl, even though automation is my specialty in marketing. Come on, you're using Zapier. You're like, you know. Okay, yes, yes. Top 3%. So, But when it comes to sales and when it comes to pre-launching, I never automate the DMs. I actually just hate that strategy so much because I think it takes away the personal energy that of an exchange it's just a weird thing that i have is like when i personally dm somebody i there's a personal energy exchange that happens and i think that you get better sales if you do that like and and i've had i had to dm 200 people one time like <laughs> i didn't set up an auto dm and i thought maybe 20 people buy this product i guess it's a good problem to have it is a good problem so i'm not i'm not complaining but like but I want people to know, like, yeah. sales takes effort. It takes energy. Like, you can't just be like, hey, here's the link. Like, 
go go click and buy. Like I I'm in marketing. I know people do not click on links. They just don't. Like there's something there's just you know, you gotta you gotta have the conversations with people. You gotta, you know, answer people's questions and, you know, all, all of that kind of thing. So I think that's um yeah, as you're building, you also just need to be having those conversations with people. There is this concept in marketing, right? Um, do things that don't scale. And I think it, it illustrates very well, even if you have to do some things manually, um, uh, it will pay off in the long run. Do, do you see that the, the scale has come to you? Like, doing the things that don't scale now, do, do you think you're reaching the scale with your followers, with more people interested? That's how you reach the scale? Yeah, I well, there's definitely there's definitely an element of scale um, now, um, but I still love doing manual things. I just love it. There's an energy in it, um, and I think that you should do things that don't scale until you absolutely can't, because they're the things that make a big difference. The only like when I when I um, train people in in marketing automation, like. The only reason that we do marketing automation is because we literally don't have the time to be, you know, doing all these exchanges of emails yeah. and that kind of thing. So you have to really hit a level where you're like, I, I actually cannot do this. And, and then I think you can automate things. I would like to get into the nitty gritty of your process now. Um, you didn't come here to pitch anything, but I will do it for you. Uh, I, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a happy client of your uh, endless tweet generator, uh, which yes. is, I, I think, fantastic. And the concept that, um, that you included there that I think it, uh, is the game changer is remixing your existing idea. Can you tell us a little bit about it, how it works and why it helps so much? I think that we get more bored with our content than our audience does. Okay, so as create because we're creative people, so we think that oh no, I've tweeted that once before, I can never tweet that again. And I think that that like like if you think about the amount of people that follow you, the amount of people in the feed, like do you remember the tweet that you read last Tuesday? Probably not. Um, and so I think that it's a really um, and, and I think the other thing you have to remember is like. The people that you know online, you know them for one thing and they usually just talk about pretty much one thing and they're saying it in a thousand different ways, in a, th a thousand different times and that's why you know them for that thing. They're not thinking, uh, I think, you know, like imagine James Clear saying, I think my uh, audience is a bit bored of the Atomic Habits thing. <laughs> he, he just, he just, you know, he just nails it every time and it's every time you, like I open his emails and I think this is all brand new, fresh content. Like I never am thinking, yeah, I heard that before. Like you just don't. So I think that as as kind of new creators and, you know, we're always you know trying to be on this content train, but actually you should uh, just learn how to kind of remix things and say things in different ways and that kind of thing. So what I do usually is it, I... I do this at kind of the end of the week. I look back through all of my tweets. I try and look for the ones that performed the best. Usually I do that. Um, and then I I then kind of say, okay, like I, I might ask myself a, a couple of questions, right? So I might say, well, why did this resonate so much? Um, and, you know, is it the idea? Is it the format? Is it, you know, is it, what, what's, what's happening here? Um, and so I think you learn a lot from just reviewing and asking those questions of yourself. And then I push myself to take that tweet and write it in four different ways. I or I have, and I've collected over the time, a whole lot of different tweet formats, which help me, um, and different frameworks. Um, these days, I don't use frameworks as much as I used to. I don't know if you saw my, my tweet the other day. I'm, I'm on a rant at the moment about tweet frameworks. Um, but... I, I think like there's they're a good start, right? So it's a it's a good way to kind of rethink an idea and put it in in uh, a, and put it in a different way. The great thing about doing that is you can then like let's say you had one tweet, you you remixed it into four different kinds of tweets, and there's a there's different ways to remix, right? So you could remix into a different style or framework. You could remix um, like you could expand it. Um, so let's say 
sometimes I'll tweet about something and someone will have a clarification or a question or that kind of thing. And it allows me to kind of expand or kind of, you know, just tweak it so it makes a bit more sense. Other times I'll break something apart. So like break it into two uh, and kind of go deep in one point and then deep in another. So try and I'm trying to look at this one tweet like a, a bit of a diamond, like, okay, what are all the different angles that I could possibly look at? And at first, that is a real challenge. Because like, well, how many times can I possibly say this? <laughs> but the more you challenge yourself to do it, the easier it, it then um, ends up becoming. And the beauty of it is, like, let's say you do, I, I tweet like twice a day. So I have 14 tweets. I can remix them. If I remix them four times, I don't even know how much that adds up to, but it's a lot. And so Mm -hmm. then that's why it's called the endless tweet generator, right? Because you should end up with like an endless amount of tweets that literally you could just keep going for for years. So that's that's kind of the concept. You mentioned uh, talking about one thing in a thousand different ways. Um, how important do you think it is to be known for one thing? How how important is to sort of stay in your bubble and stay in your box? Is it in order to grow and that if you don't do it, you'll have a you'll have a tough time convincing the audience that you're the person about uh, to, to to listen to about that particular thing? Yeah, I mean, I I do think that if you have a look at the large creators, they are probably mm-hmm. all talking about. You know, a singular thing or a group, a group of things that adds up to a singular thing. So, like, I know, like, you know, a couple of people talk about being creative, but also about journaling. Like, it's like, it's like a little bit of an off topic, but it relates back to kind of um, that, um, uh, that kind of overall umbrella. I still love to experiment with different topics. So, and, and I, because I also love to kind of read widely and, and and kind of I'm always going in a few different directions. So I think that um, sometimes you can bring in like a, a random thing and just kind of test it out and see, hmm, I wonder, like, what if I wrote about this? Or I also sometimes think about things in terms of like, can you find the intersection of something? So like, let's say like for me, I write a lot about like being a creator and creator systems. Um, but maybe there's something, well, I mean, for a really practical example is I talk a lot about creative practice. Um, and that just comes from like, I'm, I'm big in the wellness space with yoga and, uh, breath work and meditation practice. And I've kind of taken some of those concepts, um, and kind of infused that into my creative systems. So if you can find the intersection between things then sometimes you can end up with something unique. Now, you have a still the full-time job, um, and everything seems to come very easy for you. Uh, maybe it's just a facade, I don't know. But what do you struggle with the most? Yeah, it's, it, it does sound weird, but I still struggle with consistency. No. I know, it sounds, it sounds like, how do work for what do you mean? But like... Like, I, I think I probably also struggle with this concept of like some, you, you know, like there's a lot of responding and, and going in different directions, but sometimes I just struggle with, well, where is this going? Like, what does this mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I go and talk to my, my friends in real life and they're like, what are you doing on this Twitter thing? Like, what is this? How do you explain it? <laughs> they really bring me back to, um, you know, just, just bring me back to earth for a minute. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not like internet famous with them or anything. So I think, you know, uh, yeah, like some, I, I think sometimes it's just, you know, just normal creator doubt. Hey, where's this going? Um, you know, I often think like, and, and I think this comes from, you know, the experience of COVID is like, is this going to keep going on forever? Like, or is it, is there going to be an end to this? Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like the creator was a bit of a gold rush at the moment. Like everyone's kind of making money. and <laughs> It's like this big Wild West thing going on. I'm thinking, you know, like, is this a thing that's going to stay? Okay. Or is there some end point to this? And then I'm going to have to find something to do next. 
do you think the real life support and understanding of friends and family do you feel like sometimes that the online world is its own thing and 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 then it's somehow somehow becomes not real uh if if you don't have this support and understanding yeah i think well i think for a year my husband didn't really know what i was doing like it wasn't until I started making some money that he was like, oh, wait. The other got him interested, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I I, I think that uh, if you can connect with creators online, they will help, will help and support you kind of in that. Like, you know, they're just in that world. My friends have known me for a very long time. They know I'm always doing something, okay? Yes, they supported me on the vlog and they watched it and, so they always know it ends up to uh-huh. something. Um, they just don't really know exactly what what that is all the time. But um, it's very hard to explain the creator world to people in real life. Like you know, we live it every day, but like it's such a small subset of the actual world. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can get sucked into that vortex. Like you can really just think like this is the whole world, especially during COVID because you're not experiencing anything else. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so I think it's important to balance that with real life um, and kind of, you know, get out and kind of, you know, experience kind of your your real, I don't like to call it real life and, and online life, but like, you know, like, you know, in flesh kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you tell a little bit about your time management? Because that's something really fascinating for me. Uh, are you one of those uh, 5 a.m. club people that you manage everything? Do you have uh, batch content on a specific day? How, how, how do you work with uh, with creation? Yeah, I for like the last two years, I've been a 5 a.m. person. Um, and I naturally am a morning person. I love to wake up and just get started. Um, I don't know, the last... Actually, just this year, I've kind of pushed that back to 6 a.m. So I'm getting a little bit more sleep. I don't have kids, so there's there's one less kind of responsibility there. Um, But if you think about it, I'm up, you know, around 6 o'clock. I don't don't clock into work till 9. So I've got like, you know, a fair few hours in the morning Mm -hmm. where I can just sit and, you know, do my own thing. And I don't commute anymore either. So it's like a lot of time to fill in. Um, so I tend to do a fair bit of writing in the morning. So usually I'm up around six o'clock, I write for about an hour, um, and then I will spend another hour kind of possibly working on projects, um, doing stuff in co- in my courses, like just kind of checking in on things. Yeah. Um, I, I find like, yeah, I didn't have courses before, so now I've got a little bit of admin kind of stuff that, that I need to, to do. Um, I tend to not be good in the evenings at like deep work. So I can get in mm-hmm. and do kind of light stuff and check in and do emails and that kind of thing. But like I'm pretty not good at writing in the evening. So I don't. Um, so I tend to use most of my mornings to kind of get that done. I uh, so And then this year I actually um, have gone down to four days a week and I have one content creation day. Uh, which has been a game changer, and has actually been right. able to, I've uh, been able to commit the time to do some batch content. So that's when I do YouTube videos, I do reels, I kind of do a lot of that stuff on a Monday, and it's been so good. Do you edit yourself? Do you have any sort of uh, outsourced help, or it's all you? I I outsource it all now, um, which is I feel really lucky, right? So and. For for two years, I've done everything myself. And then this mm-hmm. year, I just knew that I, like, I remember sitting down, I filmed a whole heap of reels and that. And I the problem is that when you're a creative person, sometimes you like doing that stuff, right? So I actually love editing reels. It's one of, it is one of my, like, favorite things to do. I love cutting it and, like, ins and outs. But, like, one time it took me three hours to do all of that. And I thought, well, what else could I have been doing with those three hours to move other things forward and so i i decided i'm gonna uh like uh put like a call out there for a reels editor and I, like i got one within an hour like that's the great thing about um twitter is that I've, i had hundreds of people um inundate me with uh with their reels and and all sorts of things so um so now i have a reels editor who is just amazing and i just send off 
videos to him. He does them. And then I also have a YouTube editor. Um, and I just find that investment has been a, because like, that's not my main mode of communication. I love to write and everything in my writing, I do myself, but I want to spend more time there. I want to spend more time developing products and all of that. And so if I can, um, editing is one of the most time consuming things ever in the whole world. Um, and so I think that it's a good investment. You mentioned things that move things forward or things that move moving the needle, right? Yeah. Um, can, can you tell me a little bit about how um, the things that move the needle change uh, throughout your journey? So you mentioned that at the beginning, interacting with people, right? Uh, was the most important to grow an audience. How that thing that moves the needle changed and what is it right now? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Definitely, yes. In the beginning, it was all about audience, like just interactions, all of that kind of thing. I think now the things that move the needle the most are content um, and the long-form content. So I know that, and and it's also the stuff that leverages, like it's really hard to leverage one-to-one communication. Um, That's really, you're in hustle mode, right? Once you kind of, and and I I miss that mode um, and I miss interacting with so many people, but it's it's just hard. It's very hard to scale that. Um, And so now I think the thing that moves the needle most is every time I I create long form content, it it really hits with people. So a YouTube video, a Medium article, newsletter, I'm terrible at my newsletter, um, but I do know it is one of the things that moves the needle um, and definitely it's well and it's funny because you kind of see you see the peaks and troughs so when I'm on point with content I know I have no problems with sales um, but as soon as I kind of like wane a bit or you know other stuff's happening and I'm not as good um, and kind of like on content as much I definitely see a drop in sales so it's it's 100% content. Um, do you see the difference of, let's say, quality of a follower or a subscriber on social media versus email subscriber that you uh, constantly email with, or, or uh, in terms of in terms of actual sales? I mean, it's interesting. I think in the early days, my email list was probably better quality in terms of sales. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, and I, and I'm not saying that they're not quality anymore. Um, I just think I, I now the gap is bigger, right? So before I had a much bigger email list, um, or it was on par with with my social media followers. Whereas now I have a much bigger following on social media, so mm-hmm. it's probably it, it's disproportionate because now I can kind of put out a tweet and it, pretty much I didn't email anyone about my daily creative course. I just put on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's enough. not because I don't want to email my database. I'm just bad at it. <laughs> um, you mentioned that your first product made around four grand. Now you're uh, above sixty-five k. Can you break it down for us? Uh, how what brought the most money um, yeah. to, to to your business? Yeah. So I I think like the first eighteen months or so. Um, I just sold digital products. Um, yeah. so that's templates, uh, guides, like stuff like that. Um, then I decided to launch kind of my first kind of course. Um, and from there I've kind of iterated on that a couple of times and now I have kind of two courses. And so I have kind of, uh, I, I think like one of the big mistakes I made, uh, towards the end of or like middle of last year is I had a lot of um, like lower price products and nothing higher. Uh-huh. And so I was like grinding along, like getting sales, but I was like, I am not making enough money. And it was literally just that the product mix was a bit wrong. Um, uh-huh. And as soon as I added in um, my Tana Fast Track course, like literally like, like my sale, I reckon – like I probably three X'd each month, like just from doing because no. you know if you're selling twenty nine dollar products, 
you've just sell a lot of those to get to like a 10k a month or something. Yeah. Um, but when you're selling a 150 to 200 dollar course, much easier to get there. Um, so I think I'd made yeah I'd made a little bit of a kind of course correction there and just made sure I have some different levels that people can um, that people yeah. can buy. If you were to go back in time, would you start with the the, the higher ticket uh, product, or you would say that thanks to the small ones, uh, you've built sort of the the audience and the trust in order to sell the more expensive ones? Yeah, no, I think I would I would one hundred percent just do the same as I did, is mm-hmm. start with um, kind of lower priced kind of templates or digital products, and then move up to courses. The problem with starting with a course is that most people just take way too long to actually produce the course. Yeah. So it's like you spend, you know, you spend six months trying to build this course and then you can't sell any and it, it's just too hard. So it's like get runs on the board, like get those. You know, so like launch a product that's easy to launch for you. Um, so a lot of the time, like actually the easiest product for me to do right now is like just a workshop, like 90 minutes, mm-hmm. put a workshop together. You can either post it live or my last one that I did, I actually just did just record it to camera and people just buy the 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 recording of it. Um, and it's just so easy, like easy to put together, easy to record, send out. Um, like I've I'm a writer and I can't, like I've been trying to get these like written guides out and I just mm-hmm. can't. I like I'd just rather do a workshop now. I just talk to people. So yeah. I'm interested to know about your view on the sort of future of online education. Um, is it, do you see it as it be more concentrated around like virtual universities, Skillshare, Udemy type of thing, Maven, or rather around individual creators uh, that are known for a specific thing? Yeah, it's such an interesting space. I do think the creators will play a part. I, I mean, you, you think about it in terms of like, like let's think like offline, like not like if you think about universities versus like maybe a more practical course that you might do, mm-hmm. like or a, a coaching program. Like there's two different reasons I think that somebody would do one or the other. You know, you're learning a lot about foundations, about um, kind of a very you know large scale like um, stuff in university. Whereas like if you're doing a coaching program, it's very very practical. So I think I think it will be I think it will be kind of similar to that. Like creators will take over that coaching space yeah. um, and kind of do more. Like and and I think creators kind of have usually their one thing. So it's like very niched in. Like okay, you're going to learn about this one thing here, and it's going to be very um, very practical. And then I think you've got kind of your bigger online educators that can take on that more maybe university role or yeah, that kind of thing. Mm. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit. You mentioned um, about uh, hustling and the hustler vibe. And I really want to get your view on the sort of, we talk about it a lot, hustle culture. Um, is it something good that everyone has to do at the beginning of their journey? Or is it something that can uh, get you in the wrong path? Uh, maybe also uh, in, in terms of uh, your own mental health, how, yeah. how do you look at how do you look at it? I it's you know it's something I I actually don't use the word hustle very often um, because I do think it has a bad rap. Yeah. Okay? And when I talk about like well I hustled in the beginning it didn't feel like hustle to me. I was actually just excited to wake up every morning and like I've got new friends today. I would I'm gonna go talk to this person. Like I'm just honestly just so. I was just so excited and that energy just kind of, you know, just just um, kind of takes you along on that ride. Um, so I wouldn't, I don't necessarily see it as like, like I didn't, I didn't like buy into like the Gary Vee thing of like, okay, I'm going to go hustle as a career. Um, I just think like it was just real passion that yeah. drove me in those early days. Um, and I think you, you need... Uh, I don't. Uh, I, I talked. I've talked about this in a tweet. Actually, is that I think there's an element of, of obsession in every successful creator. We're literally obsessed with what we do. So I wake up and I'm thinking about content. I wake up and I'm thinking about my audience. Like I can't stop thinking about it. Like I'm. I'm obsessed, and that can also have some negative connotations as well. But I think that 
I think that you still have to, and this is the hard thing when we talk about passion, because often our passion takes over and we stop listening to what we actually need and the balance we need. Um, And that's different to hustle. Like hustle is like, I'm going to go out and like, like, you know, I get it. But like when you're passionate, sometimes you forget to listen to yourself because your passion is just like, you know, just taking you, taking over. And so I think that's actually um, a, like a harder thing to overcome than the hustle culture. Um, so sometimes you have to just like step back and say, look, I know I'm obsessed. I know I'm really passionate about this, but I should take a break or like I should I should take a long screen break now. Like, you know, uh, often we don't do that because we're just like, uh, like, why wouldn't you kind of just go along with your passion, really passionate about it? And I think creators are very prone to that. Um, we get, and I think that's the creative wave sometimes happening. It's like creativity just comes in waves, and you're just like, I'm just going all in off this. Like, I mean, I've had like days where I'm just like downloading, you know, create like creative stuff, and I just can't switch off that's that's very dangerous like because that that can also lead to burnout even though you're doing something you're really passionate about it's not hustle if you love what you're doing i guess i guess i mean i don't want to i don't want to sound cliche (laughs) (laughs) i think every creator is obsessed in some way and that can lead to hustle yeah all right uh do you mind if we do a little quick fire round you know like uh, quick questions quick answers uh, something maybe to to throw in uh, in the middle. Yeah. Um, all right. So, are you a team player or lone wolf? I'm a lone wolf. Take risks or carefully calculate? Mostly carefully calculate. Sometimes I take a risk. Mobile or desktop? Desktop. Who inspires you most? Like, ever? Uh, I'm going to say my dad. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would love to be a marine biologist. <laughs> we love that answer. <laughs> um, what is an underappreciated business tool that you couldn't live without? Uh, I don't know if it's underrated, but Loom is a definite one. What's your productivity life hack among the thousands that you have? <laughs> Um, listen to yourself. And lastly, what does success mean to you? I think it is following the path that you set and not that other people set for you. Beautiful. Maybe, (laughs) maybe a little bit cliche, but so, so true. So thank you for that. And, um, what's, uh, what's next this year for F Chapman? Do you have like a revenue goal or, or or followers goal or anything like that yeah so i think i think i put this out at some point i do want to make 100k this year um which is a big goal for me and usually i don't set those kinds of goals um so it's very different for me to do that um but i think i found the confidence last year um mm-hmm. and i feel like i i know the game plan and i can do it um so that that helps me to kind of set that goal and i think I've, I've got a million ideas that I'm going to launch this year um, and I got derailed uh, by a move and all of that. So I'm like super excited just to get back into flow um, and I want to like, I really want to build my platforms, build audience. I'd love to be really consistent with my newsletter this year. I, I say that every year. I'm terrible at it. Um, so those are, those are some some goals, but there's definitely, there'll definitely be products there'll definitely be launches and there'll definitely be content. Do you think, do you see yourself in a short term leaving your full-time job for that side hustle to become full-time hustle? It's really hard to say. Your boss won't be listening, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he does listen sometimes, uh, but he's great. Um, no, I, you know, I really love it. Um, I I get a lot of uh, just joy from my mm-hmm. clients and all of that but i also know that you can't always um 
you, you can't have it all. Like I, I have, I, I wish you could. Um, but sometimes, you know, things just evolve and happen. So I think, but what I don't want to do is I don't want to become a full-time creator. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, so I put, I'm putting that constraint on myself because I don't really want another full-time job if I leave yeah. my full-time job. So I want to leverage and kind of build something that doesn't necessarily have to be full-time. Otherwise you will unavoidably stumble upon some burnout and that's yes. that's better best to, best to avoid right i think so all right Ev, thank you so much uh i think the, the i'm wishing you the 100k but i think it's like a it's not, it's not really a goal it's a prediction i would say uh <laughs> knowing <laughs> knowing your work so thank you so much for the bread of confidence absolutely uh, yeah. <laughs> and thank you so much for for your time today to to join me thank you yeah it's been so fun thanks so much Thank you. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. As you can see, it takes time. But I feel like if you give yourself the time to experiment, but to remain persistent in it, then amazing things can happen. Please join us next time when we talk with another creator building their career 2.0. I'll see you then.